I'd like to welcome you to this evening's review panel and to what promises to be an enlightening critical discussion on the current Whitney Biennial. I'm Bruce Weber, Senior Curator at the National Academy Museum. Uh, before we begin, I want to inform you of some upcoming special programs at the museum and to thank DCA and NISCA for their continued support of the review panel. Coming up on Wednesday, April 11th at 2 p.m. is a gallery talk by Marshall Price, Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art on the current National Academy Annual, which I hope you've all had the opportunity to see. The exhibition closes on April 29th. On Wednesday, April 18th at 6.30, Jed Pearl, art critic for the New Republic, will be delivering the lecture, Becoming Calder, Shaping the Man Who Invented the Mobile. Calder was born into a family of artists, and Mr. Pearl will explore how Calder's avant-garde vision was shaped by his parents' progressive ideas. Mr. Pearl is currently working on a full-length biography of Alexander Calder. The next review panel will be on Friday, April 27th at 6.30, and feature Lance Espland, Maddie Finney, and Barry Schwabsky, in addition to our moderator and organizer, David Cohen, editor and publisher of artcritical.com. David? Thank you very much, Bruce, and thank you to everybody at the National Academy for hosting this series. Uh, we recently reached a milestone. I believe this is the 52nd ever review panel. So uh, uh, we are now um, an institution within a venerable institution. So that is a uh, a flattering place to be, um, but on the other hand, there's always the temptation to rest on one's laurels, but I don't think that's going to happen this evening. Uh, my guests are um, three powerhouse critics who are going to keep me on my toes. I'm going to introduce them to you when you can see their faces, uh, which is when we are all up there on the, uh, the review panel. Um, I'm here at the podium, which uh, may strike regulars as uh, an anomaly. Uh, this is something, this is the spot reserved for uh, national academicians and their servants. Um, but I am here for a practical reason. Um, this is the third uh, review panel devoted to the Whitney Biennial, which is beginning to show our age. Um, and um, the Whitney, of course, presents a logistical challenge to a program that's calibrated to focus upon four solo exhibitions in contemporary art galleries. Here we have, albeit uh, an installment of the Whitney that's characterized and noted by critics for its leanness, nonetheless a sprawling show somewhat in the tradition of the Salon of, and the academies of the uh, 18th and 19th century, somewhat indeed in the tradition, um, a, a modern twist, it could be argued, on the very kind of exhibition presented upstairs right at the moment, um, or at the American Academy, um, further uptown and across the island uh, with their annual invitational. Um, so um, without with a, with a, a strenuous and probably um, un- fulfillable ambition of not providing personal commentary or inflection. I'm going to nonetheless, uh, if we could dim the lights, 
Um, take us through as quickly as possible a little bit of an overview of some of the artists featured in the 2012 Whitney Biennial. The Biennial, as I'm sure we, many of us know, is um, dedicated to Mike Kelly, uh, the uh, Los Angeles-based artist who took his life earlier this year. Uh, this is a film called Going East on Michigan Avenue from Westland to downtown Detroit, uh, which will be screened in May, uh, the middle of May, at the, uh, at the biennial. And perhaps somewhat in the tradition of Kelly and the uh, performative uh, aspect of his work, there is uh, a great, uh, there is, uh, there are quite a number of um, individual artists presenting performances um, as part of their work at the biennial. Dawn Casper, for instance, is actually in residence throughout the, um, uh, the, the exhibition. This could be something, if I let it, of 2012 from what she calls a series of nomadic studio practice experiments. Members of the public are invited to um, come in to her uh, live-work space within the biennial and leaf through her record collection and fumble with her stuff. There we are. There's already some personal commentary and inflection. Couldn't keep it out. You know if you get a giggle that you've failed in your task to be neutral. Uh, <laughs> Wu Tsang, Wu Chang, Tsang, um, uh, one of the few artists to be found on the top floor in permanent installation uh, with a room, with a, a show called uh, Green Room, also in the Kelly tradition. And the collective of Giselle Vienne, Dennis Cooper, Stephen O'Malley, and Peter Rayberg, uh, testing the limits of the Whitney's remit to uh, only include American artists, a collective with a piece called Last Spring, a prequel. Um, these small drawings and, uh, uh, are behind this um, mannequin uh, that, that uh, gyrates slightly before audience, the audience. And um, actually, the, the inclusion of performance actually extends in the, this, this, this installment of the biennial to the inclusion of uh, a number of actual performances that are ticketed events for which you, you need to reserve a spot and makes the, uh, what's, what's usually very much of a static exhibition into more of a, a festival, um, which is something the panel will probably want to investigate. The uh, British uh, choreographer Michael Clarke uh, has been seen, uh, can be seen uh, this week. Um, and in fact, um, all your panelists did get along uh, yesterday to see a performance uh, together. And Sarah Mitchelson was also seen uh, last week in a piece called uh, Devotion Study, the American Dancer, uh, a piece that takes its title uh, from a quote from Georges Balanchine on the uh, different quality and spirit of the uh, American dancer compared to the European. But there are uh, quote unquote traditional installations. Um, the first piece that would greet uh, one if, if you choose to start on the first floor. And a panel, in fact, tells visitors that they're under no obligation to, do, to start or finish anywhere. The, uh, uh, the curators give viewers the permission to start where they like, which is uh, 
very liberal, of course. And uh, here is For Hire 2012 by Oscar Tuazon, uh, which is in the what's usually the project room uh, at the Biennial. Uh, at, not at the Biennial, at the, at the Whitney, that small space on, uh, just off the lobby. Or if you, the work of Kai Althoff can be seen, you get off at one of the floors, the main floors, and uh, his is the, the work there that's hanging um, from, from those uh, screens. This is a, a poster for a play in which he and others appear. Lutz Becker's work um, on the right there. And, and uh, in an installation that includes others, Moira Davey. Um, this collection of uh, chromogenic prints and text. And Nicole Eisenman with a, a, a large, sprawling installation um, of salon hung portraits, of which these are some examples in monotype. And also um, life drawing, a piece that's installed um, on the stairs down to the dining facilities of the museum. Vincent Fecteau, Vincent Fecteau uh, the review panel has strict policies, which of course get broken as soon as we do something like the Whitney Biennial. One of our strict policies is we never talk about the same artist twice, um, or rather we never review an artist's show twice. And by coincidence, when Bill Berkson was last here on the review panel, um, his fellow San Franciscan Fecteau was one of the artists we looked at. But how can we not look at him again? There he is in the biennial. Latoya Ruby Frazier, the photographer, photo artist. A series from her campaign for Braddock, Braddock Hospital, Save Our Community Hospital series. And prints from the Home Body series, which four were installed. Richard Hawkins, represented both by paintings such as these and a series of collages that um, incorporate uh, photographic reproductions of other works of art. So you can just about spy in this installation shot. Matt Hoyt, whose sculptural installation, sculptural pieces in a variety of media, including clay, fiber clay, plaster, various putties, resin, pastel, glue, plastic and oil, synthetic polymer, and tempera paints. Was seen. And the Boston-based abstract painter, uh, Anthony Mazzullo. But again, I'm providing commentary. Perhaps my three panelists will say he's not abstract. So I should really just shut up and show the slides. <laughs> you just realize, uh, when you set out to, say, to be neutral, you realize how well, you could make an art piece out of that, how well-nigh impossible neutrality actually is as soon as you put three words in one sentence. Tom Thayer, also on the top, the third floor. Clearly what we're doing here is sampling what is already a lean show and yet giving ourselves nonetheless five times more artists than we would usually talk about at the review panel. Um, Yuta Kota, um, The Seasons, is an installation piece. These four paintings forming an installation. Um, 
just no point in disguising or uh, uh, how and why these are the artists that I happen to have images for, um, as is the case when we usually select shows. The, the, the panelists, um, on the basis, this was all decided really before we had a chance to see the show, probably, but the, the panelists, um, following instinct and, and research, nominating artists they thought would be likely candidates for interesting comments on themselves. Sorry? I saw it before I you, okay, good, excellent, good for you. And uh, so um, Karen Wilkin just corrected me on a, a point there that she indeed did see the biennial before she submitted her list. But of course, from San Francisco, that was a challenge for Mr. Bergson, not a challenge for Mr. Heinrich, who's already in fact reviewed the biennial. So, um, <clears throat> but, okay, we the panelists, say, okay, these are some artists who we might want to talk about. But it's not a question of saying, uh, Karen is now going to give you her four favorites or something. It's, it's just a question of creating a pool. And we get a pool through the process of, well, pooling. So um, yes, but here is an instance where a, a painter's works are actually presented as an installation. And this is actually um, a, a characteristic of this year's uh, biennial. that. Um, uh, that uh, uh, the work of others being harnessed or uh, the work uh, presented in a way where the, the sum is greater than individual parts, perhaps where um, the, the installation, as in the case of the seasons there by, um, by the artist Yuta Kota. In the case of Forrest Best, of course, uh, <clears throat> This is, as it were, a piece by Robert Gober, who um, has curated a room within the biennial of this uh, possibly, quote unquote, outsider artist, although he did participate, as we can discuss in, in, in the modernist presentation, um, Forrest Bess. And Nick Mouse. Uh, literally uh, uh, enlisting uh, others, living and dead, to be uh, in his piece, uh, Concern, Crush, Desire, from 2011. Uh, so his piece consists of the doors that enter into a particular space within the space of the biennial, um, the uh, cotton applique on velvet and uh, uh, other luxurious materials that form a little kind of um, entrance lobby to his space, but then a work borrowed from the collection of the Whitney, the, um, uh, the, the Marston Hartley that you see hanging there on the left. Here's a detail of his installation. Or uh, works of uh, various uh, uh, photographers like Winogrand, Gary Winogrand, and, and Ellsworth Kelly, and other artists uh, incorporated into his installation. And in the similar spirit, uh, Werner Herzog, uh, who um, who, who brings the um, uh, 19th century etcher uh, Sagers into into play? Sorry, early 20th century, 18th century, 17th century, 16th, 15th. Any advances on? <laughs> yes, the 17th century Dutch uh, master etcher who. Uh, your learned and informed review panel, of course, know intimately, as do you, uh, in incorporated into Herzog's um, 
uh, four-channel digital projection. And um, uh, Herzog, uh, you know, famous cineast, uh, here in his capacity also, either in his capacity or enlisted to be a visual artist, um, uh, as with the dance programming, uh, so, um, so, uh, so with... Uh, a whole program of films that are, uh, are to be seen at, uh, uh, in a sort of cinematic presentation, the, the, again reinforcing this idea of the biennial becoming as much a festival as an exhibition. Uh, Jerome Hyler's work can be seen at some point, Words of Mercury. This is a still. Uh, Nathaniel Dorsky could be seen a couple of weeks ago, but not if, like me, you were a minute late. Uh, very strict conditions about lighting for this uh, 16 millimeter, this program of three 16 millimeter films of uh, Dorsky that uh, we have at our disposal to uh, discuss, and George Kuchar, who's coming up, like Mike Kelly, as is uh, uh, not really somebody we can necessarily um, delve into because uh, he is uh, yet to be seen. Great. So, um, another thing that's going to be unusual about this evening's. Uh, it feels like the, uh, the Jewish Passover. Why is this review panel different from all other review panels? Because uh, whereas we ordinarily stifle your hunger for imagery and your demand to actually see, uh, as and when we're discussing it, uh, specific works, uh, this evening that's uh, something that's really hard to repress. Um, so um, my capable assistants will be on hand to um, summon those images as and when uh, as and when um, they're required. Great. So at this point, I'd, I'd ask my panellists to join me on the, on the uh, stage. So ladies and gentlemen, it's my great pleasure to introduce my co-panellists this evening, my guests here at the Whitney Biennial Special Review Panel. To my right, your left, Bill Berkson, returning to the review panel for his second appearance, is a poet and art writer, He's Professor Emeritus at the San Francisco Art Institute. He's a corresponding editor at Art in America and serves as poetry editor at Art Critical Magazine. His most recent book of art writings for the ordinary artist was published last year. Karen Wilkin, who, like Bill, is making her second appearance here on our, on our panel, publishes her criticism at the Wall Street Journal, The New Criterion, Art in America, and the Hudson Review, where she is a contributing editor. She is also a prolific author and curator whose most recent project is the exhibition American Vanguards, Graham Davis Gorky de Kooning and Their Circle, which she co-curated at the Newburger and which travels extensively thereafter. And Will Heinrich is art critic for the New York Observer. He is also a novelist, author of The King's Evil, published by Scrapener in 2003, uh, which won a Penn Robert Bingham Fellowship Award in 2004. So ladies and gentlemen, a distinguished panel, please welcome them. So panelists, I mentioned in my entirely neutral introductory remarks how, in a way, the Whitney is a successor to those great 18th, 19th century institutions, the academies and salons, such as the one upstairs. Um, 
Is, is that a historically accurate, fair remark, do you feel? And, and do you feel it uh, is in any, any way helpful to giving you a grounding on what you should be doing as somebody attending the, the Whitney Biennial? Anybody like to jump in on that issue? Karen? Well, the, the uh, 18th century salons people went to as much to make fun of as to uh, enjoy. So I think the Whitney is certainly fulfilling that original function. <laughs> Um, it is it, the, the difference is that the uh, believe it or not the 18th century salons were obviously much more inclusive. I mean, what was it? You know, 2,500 works hung cheek by jowl. If you if you read uh, Diderot's uh, reports on the salons for his for his private newsletter. It's like, you know, oh, God, I've got to write about this artist. You know, he doggedly goes on. I have absolutely nothing to say about him. It's too depressing. You know, so he goes on to the next. At least we don't have to do that. Yes, we've managed to whittle it down to 20 out of already a, a fairly short list, yeah. and nobody is groaning that we are um, being too uh, streamlined, too exclusive, exclusionary. Um, but, Bill, um, what's, what's your take on the Whitney? Is it, is it, a, is it an institution that... Uh, the whole you, place? <laughs> the biennial. Is it the something biennial. you think, ah, the biennial, at last, uh, responsible curators um, have uh, scoured the land north, uh, at, at all points on the compass, and here is um, uh, people I trust who are taking the temperature on visual culture today in America, or is it, oh, the Whitney again? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I grew up when it was the annuals, and... Um, then it seemed to be a little more of uh, taking the temperature of mostly New York. Uh, so that's been uh, cast aside or expanded. And, um, you know, it's just, let's, not, let's forget about the show and talk about the artists. Because nobody wins with that show. I mean, I haven't, you know, I, I can't remember, even though now you see uh, there are two uh, reputable or responsible or even excellent critics in New York who have written glowing uh, reviews of this show then everybody who saw it up to today uh, that I talked to like the word on the street it says oh it's awful so you know how, how, how do you figure that the, uh, I remember when Jeff Koons had a show in New York sometime in the what was it the late 80s and uh um, all of the critics uh, responsibly uh, panned the show, and the word on the street was everybody loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that may well be the crisis of criticism. I mean, um, I, myself, I, I, I myself have probably reversed myself ten times in the last ten hours over the show. I, I mean, at one point uh, yesterday, I was gnashing my teeth about it, and I said to the person I went through the show with, uh, why is it that uh, a show like this can make you so angry? I don't understand. It's, uh, why, why, why should anybody's art... It's not the art that makes you angry. It's the curating that makes you angry. Uh, yes. uh, you know, and, and you don't blame the artist somehow, but it's sort of how <laughs> could they... You know, I don't think that, for instance, there's anything... My impression is that there's nothing offensive. Uh, well, the dance last night was offensive. 
but there's nothing offensive in the galleries otherwise. Dance was we'll offen- the dance that. was offensive because <laughs> it was trite. Well, well, Even the lewdness was trite. Uh, yeah. Yes, um, and we'll, uh, uh, we'll certainly... Uh, good, I think we might have a little disagreement. We always like that on the review panel. Yum, yum. Um, but, but Will, um, I wouldn't like to guess which of us is youngest, but one of us is probably <laughs> one of this... Somebody here must be the youngest. But, um, I think, I Will... Think it's polite to say Karen... <laughs> Uh, what is your expectation of a biennial? Do you, do, you, do you go at it with relish or do you go at it with dread? Um, I had very low expectations, I think, because, and I think that's why I, I kind of liked it, but I think the people who disliked it uh, probably want from it something impossible. You know, I don't... I, don't, I think when you're... Any, any large group show, you're, you're, bal- you're trying to find a balance between kind of imposing a unitary decorative scheme that overwhelms the individual pieces of art you put in or having no vision at all. And what I liked about this was that there seemed to be a, you know, an even, an even balance, a coherent idea, but not such as to prevent me from looking at the individual work. So I think I agree with Bill that I would rather talk about the work. The show itself or the institution is kind of a, a circus. You know, it's a money-making operation that um, that's fine. That is what it is. But I don't, I don't have a lot to say about it as a phenomenon. I'd rather talk about the art. I mean, historically, you, if you go, if you asked about the connection with the Salons, if you just look at the Whitney criticism from when it was the annual, it used to alternate one year painting, one year sculpture and drawings. And um, I don't think there's ever been a, a Whitney show that wasn't discussed in terms of how it failed to do what it was supposed to do, which was represent whatever, and it, it's consistent. It's clearly an impossible event. Yes. I, I felt that, uh, in a way, that uh, in, 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 in earlier years, uh, you, as you say, Karen, it alternated between painting one year or sculpture the next or other kind of medium divisions. In my yeah, that was that was when it was that's the annual. Right, exactly. That's how it worked, and, and that hasn't been the annual for it hasn't a been very the annual for time. donkey's years. In fact, yeah. it did start as a biennial, then it became an annual, then mm. it went back to being a biennial. But um, uh, what I've noticed, however, in my shorter tenure in, in New York than some others here, is that um, the biennial itself kind of alternates. It's, it's as if one biennial is very uh, capricious, self-indulgent. And as of irresponsible, and then it's followed two years later by a rather <laughs> dour and um, um, sour kind of uh, uh, survey of, of what's happening um, in America. And I guess I, I also get the sense that it's it's uh, it, it's it would be difficult enough to say what's going on in New York, um, but it becomes exponentially more difficult when you do have to scour the land, as it were, and. Um, put together a national consensus. And what do we make of the fact, however, that um, in quite a number of instances, uh, this year's selectors seem to have really been anxious to subvert the essential remit of the Whitney, which is to be the Museum of American Art, insisting on including collectives where out of four artists, one was born in America and now lives in Europe, and that therefore makes those four people eligible, or art and language have works that are dotted around uh, the place, uh, mostly on the fifth floor, which doesn't really feel part of the, uh, the, the main uh, drag of the biennial, um, and they're 
British artists um, uh, looking at the Whitney. So um, it's, 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 it's it, um, like artists trying to expand the envelope all the time, that the curators are expanding the envelope of what American is? Are they embarrassed at the idea or the fact that they have to work with this definition? Bill, what's, what's your... Why internationalize the American Didn't this art? come up four years ago when they began to expand it beyond national boundaries? And it just... I, I'm so tired of national boundaries. It, it seems like, uh, you know, why not? I mean, uh, what's Herzog doing here? Are we being invaded? Uh, you know, bad music. But the images are good. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and um, you know, it doesn't seem to matter very much. I mean, I can imagine some people, maybe, maybe artists, maybe dealers or something, feel offended by it. But um, it doesn't say, it doesn't say the Whitney by Biennial of American Art, does it? Well, it's the Whitney Museum of American Art Biennial. Oh, so, yes, um, right. You know, um, yeah. right. That it, it, there are quite a lot of museums. It's not as if the New York City is an impoverished cultural, cultural outpost that doesn't yeah. have anything like, say, a MoMA or a Met or a Guggenheim. I mean, we do have the MoMA, the Met, and the Guggenheim, which probably do a better job than any other institutions in the world of uh, surveying the world. So uh, why, therefore, um, subvert the remit of the Whitney and go t- very tentatively, gingerly, uh, into other spots around the world. Do you have a view on that, Will, why that's happening? Sure. Um, I think it would be, I, th- I think because, I, th- I think if they're still showing primarily American artists, they're then accurately representing, or they can be fairly considered to be trying to accurately represent what's happening in American art, but to exclude, you know, for example, if you have a collective where one of the guys is Dutch and one of the guys is Greek and the other three are American and they show in America. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a part. That's a part of what's happening in American art. I think, you know, you can you can you can be a grant making body and have a citizenship requirement and have, have some <laughs> kind of legal uh, necessity. But if you're if you're in a museum, I think if they filled the place with Dutch people or Greek people or whatever it is, then you would have a problem. But if they're sprinkling around the edges, that's just a more accurate representation of what's actually happening and what the conversation actually is. Hmm. Yes. Um, I wonder, Karen, um, if, if we do stick just for one last <coughs> moment with this idea of Salon Academy, uh, the Whitney being that, um, we've had a chance to see there are other events around town. I mean, not that we're short of things to say about the Whitney, but um, here we have the, the, the Academy upstairs. Uh, there's the American Arts and Letters, um, which I always find to be an exhilarating mm-hmm. show. I mean, it's, it's almost... If I had to curate a Whitney Biennial, it wouldn't look all that unlike the American Arts and Letters, I would sometimes feel. Mm-hmm. There's usually about 25, 30% of people I'd really want in a show I was organizing. So that's never a ratio, that's never a percentage I've been able to achieve at the Whitney. Now, um, maybe that just points to the fact that I'm an unredeemable, unredeemable fogey, but um, do, where, what, do you have a better experience, say, here or the American Arts and Letters or the Brucennial? You, not the Brucennial. Um, the, uh, the Arts and Letters show is always interesting. Now, that is artist-selected. It's artists choosing artists. 
right. uh, for which there is an old tradition. Uh, there were some uh, galleries in New York that used to do that routinely. I, I think a few are still doing it once in a while. This is the, the Whitney has always been under the aegis of a small number of people and is somehow more predictable in, in what you're going to see, much less so than the arts and letters, because you've got a, different, a changing group of artists who are selecting other artists, usually younger artists, and I find that mix very informative. Mm. Uh, it's a smaller show also. It isn't trying to, to make some vast statement. It's just a narrow slice for this year, and it'll be different next year. Uh, there always seems to be some, you know, something terribly large at stake at the Whitney, which mm. it is impossible to fulfill. Now, I can also look back and say, well, I can't remember what year it was, but there was an absolutely spectacularly wonderful Shirin Neshat video, which I still think is the best thing she's ever done. Uh, the, the sound was interfering with one's enjoyment of the Tom Noskowskis that were equally wonderful that were hanging outside of it. But I can hang on to certain works that I really was excited about um, in other years, and uh, that is not true all the time. I, I, I rarely find um, multiple things in the Whitney that, that I feel that are memorable or that I'm particularly interested in. But that, you know, I, I was once described by somebody as a historical modernist, which was not meant as a compliment. But um, I embrace it. They're, they're, you know, I'm back there in the 20th century. Thank you very much. <laughs> what excited you this time? Uh, Sarah Mitchelson's performance which was probably the uh, best thing I've seen. I've seen her work before. I was reminded that I should not miss this by a, uh, one of the New York Times dance critics with whom I go to Pilates class. Uh -huh. And she said, don't miss this. Well, I, I started out as a dancer, so we, so we have uh, you know, dance talk. And I found it fascinating and exhilarating and exciting, unlike the performance we saw yesterday, which was, to my mind, like um, misunderstood Merce Cunningham. Uh, and that's the most polite thing I can say about it. And the Michael Clark uh, Well, except it had this pickup crew of people more or less off the street that <laughs> looked very interesting. The dancers were pickup dancers, too. I mean, oh, they, they, they the, were... The he doesn't have dancers? a company. He doesn't have a company. You mean the ones who were doing... No, he doesn't have a company. Yeah. So, it, it, so it, if he does have a clear idea of what his movement vocabulary mm -hmm. is, which I don't think he does, mm -hmm. uh, they have not worked with him enough to have Yeah, but there was a distinction it. between people who were not professional dancers Well, and they were not professional mm -hmm. dancers, and they, you know, the great thing now with modern dance is it doesn't matter what shape you are, whether you can move or not, mm -hmm. we don't want to be exclusive about this, you know? The fact that you have a trained body that can actually do something, uh-uh. <laughs> well, if you had that at the Whitney Biennial, then it would clash rather with the painters and sculptors on the other floors. Um, <laughs> Sarah Mitchelson's dancers could move. <laughs> yes, but actually, what uh, I, I, I have to say, I, I liked Clark's piece, and um, I'm not a dance aficionado, um, but uh, you know, I think he was making a very clear distinction between the members of his company who were in black, who were not members of his company, who were recruited mm -hmm. actually by the by the Whitney. Um, uh, I, I actually end up meeting. I was looking at the program on the subway going home, mm -hmm. and a lady's pointed a finger and said, that was, that's me. 
and she said they, there was an open call. You had to write a 300-word essay or less about why you wanted to be in this company. That's got, the greatest audition I've ever heard of for yes, a dancer. Yes. And Balanchine should have thought of that. They, they, <laughs> they made a very special point of, of uh, trying to recruit as many overweight and mm -hmm. uh, people as they could. I noticed in the end they put the really chubby fellow in the back row, but... Uh, Who was having terrible trouble keeping up when they ran. That yes. was one of the more, more interesting things yeah. to watch. But, you but, know, but, but the, David, point is, the point is, then, then there are six members of his company wearing much nicer outfits mm -hmm. and pretty nice to look at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anybody fascist would be happy with all, well, at least four of those six dancers. My, so, my quarrel was not with the dancers. They were all very capable. My quarrel is with what he did with them. And I'm not going to go into the whole technical thing, but the basic thing that made me so angry that if I hadn't been sitting in the front row, I would have fled, um, was his the relationship of the movement. To, this, this has nothing to do with the performance that was on at the Whitney. This is from something else. Um, the relationship to the music, uh, which... All he was interested in was the rhythm. It, there was right. absolutely no inflection, no response to anything tonal. Not that there was much going on tonally in the music. But it, all he needed was somebody bashing out an absolutely regular beat, which he followed with devastating and boring precision. Right. Okay. Um, that's true. These are actually just people rehearsing they're not this is not what it looked like so you were all lucky to miss it <laughs> you feel that way now you, you were lucky to miss it except they did there anybody was, a, was anybody there anybody here or there anybody was, see um, anybody see was Sarah any, Mitchell was anybody in it anybody here <laughs> anybody here uh, see the uh, Sarah Mitchelson piece no. Oh, as many as that. Okay. Right. So um, this does raise therefore I mean we can uh, I think Move on and not uh, delve too much into the, uh, the, the the qualities of 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 performances that no one's seen. But um, why? What do we think of the Whitney instigating a, a program that's um, not going to be seen by? Uh, it can only be seen by a tiny handful. It's it's almost it seems to me a bit like uh, those kind of rich countries that have. Um, nationally endowed and supported opera companies that they know only a minute percentage are going to see, but the whole country feels more civilized because it has an opera house. Um, and so do you it have seems a problem with that? I don't, because I'm <laughs> part of that tiny percentage that do see it. But is it the Whitney sort of saying, um, you know, you don't have to see it, just be pleased that there is performance here? I think it's a larger issue. It's the inclusion of performance itself, and it comes right out of the notion that art is entertainment. And most of the work that is in the biennial, whether it's in the performance category, the, 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 the specific buy your ticket, it's only it's a limited run performances on the fourth floor, but there is a great deal of video. There's an enormous amount of work that moves, yells at you, jumps up and down, um, it, it's a, a much bigger issue of the fact that sustained looking of something that requires you to bring something to it rather than something that reaches out and does something to you seems mm. to be uh, 
what is desirable in this biennial. Well, right. I think that's well, a character. And that's not necessarily entertainment. That's sort of being Sometimes there it's to, torture. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't see how that, how, I mean, it seems like a contradiction. If it's, if it's there and you have to bring something to it, most entertainment comes out and pulls your coat. So, yeah. But it's, but it's. You know, I'm but, saying most but, of the work, do, it does not demand that you you have oh, to give it, it some time. That you bring something to it, it's but going that, to perform that lack of demand for you. Could equally apply to a painting, mm -hmm. a static object. No, you can have a lousy painting as well. But uh, but I'm saying that uh, and lousy sculpture and and. But you can also have a, a moving film. I've, I'm not ruling. I know. I'm not so. saying that there isn't wonderful and terrible work in all of these categories. Yes. I am saying that there seems to be an assumption that it better sing and dance that it, we, there's a sense that you don't that the artist and the curators uh, do not trust work that isn't doing something extra for example the um, uh, the I'm forgetting her name now um, give us a clue no the Jutta the paintings are hung in midair so that one uh, one of them is double sided the others you see the back they are sustained on these very elaborate, I think quite expensive, mm -hmm. uh, glass screens. And that's so you, you know, just hang a painting on a wall, that's not enough. I mean, th this seems to be built into just about everything well, it seems in the show. It was somebody's idea that these were related, like the, um, those uh, uh, photographs, to the Whitney architecture. Could have fooled me. That's what the, that's what the wall takes. Unlike the so which, which photographs? I'm sorry. Right. Right. Or the, you know, who is it? The, the, the woman, she has a French name. Uh, the woman who did the, the uh, photographs that are placed like Whitney windows within yeah. frames that, you know, that's uh, like mm -hmm. that. In the, in the rhomboids, the, yeah. And then the, sol the silver panel. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the, the, the Kutter was, was supposed to be, I mean, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. No, I had, I had to read about that one too. About how it was yeah. uh, related yeah. to the architecture. That was the excuse for it. Mm -hmm. you know, it did seem a fantastically yeah. elaborate way to present not fantastically yeah. stimulating paintings, which probably would have um, been less stimulating pinned on the wall uh, like paintings. But, um, Will, I think you were going to come in and perhaps take issue with this uh, well, idea about performance being inherently more entertainment than painting. Uh, let me see. I was going to come in at a couple of points, so let me pick which, which, yes. at which point I had something. Um, I was going to say that I think, I think the critique Karen is making applies to much of all of the work and all media in the show, but I don't think that's the reason the performance work is included. I mean, I think the reason they include a dance performance that not everyone can see is... Um, not, not to make a tiny sliver of the population, as David said, feel good that it is in the show, but to make the larger sliver of the population that's buying tickets feel as if it's expansive and covering everything. It's part of the performance of being what a biennial is. You know, I thought it was interesting that right. David pointed out it's more like a festival mm -hmm. than a show now. You know, so a festival has to have movies. It has shows movies. It has dance performances. Mm -hmm. It has music. It has, you know, it has everything, and it's not... It's not and that in itself has nothing to do with the particular qualities of the of the pieces being shown for that mm -hmm. reason. I think separately, I agree with you that a lot of it needs to dance and entertain, mm -hmm. but uh, 
I think that's just as true of a lot of the, the painting or the installations. I mean, you look at Nick Mouse's installation, mm -hmm. for example, is dancing and mm -hmm. trying to entertain. Um, I had a third point, I think, which was that the entertainment, I mean, it's entertainment as, it's entertaining as art. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. being art, and that's mm -hmm. what's entertaining people. So mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be pleasant. You know, it can be torturing you. Well, because then you think you're seeing art. I thought that, you know, the idea of covering everything, you know, ends up being, one of the interesting things to me is that it's, um, it reminds me of the poetry, uh, uh, American poetry in this way that it's completely splintered in terms of culture. Mm -hmm. And um, there's something for everybody in some way, right. maybe. Yeah. Or at least you can say some somebody somewhere will go for this thing because there's no you, you know forget unifying aesthetic or even I mean that, which is maybe to the good I mean that may be well, realistic. Well, that is that certainly reflects it certainly reflects what's no, going on there. No, but it's realistic. Maybe that's the statement about I don't know if it's American culture or just uh, the way culture is. I mean, there's an odd an odd moment in the catalog. You realize you have this catalog that has six pages of, of uh, an interview with the director and about mm -hmm. 10 more pages of the curators talking to each other, and um, which is only interstitially illuminating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there is a point at which the director of the Whitney says, um, the obligation of the show is to meet institutional and cultural needs. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. How do you ever determine these needs? And are, are they mine? Are they mine? And he's a good or, guy. Or, or <laughs> are we again? Uh, you know, maybe all of the culture that we have. This is why I think you know American doesn't really even matter. Um, is so niched. Really, so atomized. But the Whitney Biennial is a, it's an a, is an attempt to be a sort of global overview at global. America. Well, it didn't overview. used to. It didn't used to try to be global. It used to at least, you know. Well, somehow. I don't think it's going that yeah, far. Yeah. I don't mean global in the sense Port, of the, the whole planet. I mean global in the sense of uh, uh, embracing okay. uh, the whole subject. But I want to dwell more, though, on the the kind of the the, the definition of performance that's at play here. Because look, um, within the art world, there is performance art, and it's done by people who go to art schools and mm -hmm. who uh, feel that they, 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 they're not going to paint this, on this particular occasion they're not going to paint or sculpt or make a movie or do an installation, they're going to perform and um, though some, some people totally accept that as being an absolutely uh, uh, vital plank of contemporary artistic expression it's other, been going and, on and other the, people's, David, it's, it's been, been going, going on for, on for the quite last long, 35 years exactly, other yeah. people, even though it's been going on for 35 years other people still complain those people can have those debate, but what we have here, interestingly, is something different. I mean, we, we, these are not performance artists. These are uh, dancers, basically. So why, why um, isn't it actually sort of slightly betraying performance art to say, oh, here's performance and present dance? I think it's uh, the uh, eternal cliche, the boundaries are permeable these days. Categories are much less important it, and probably not important at all. Um, but if they were going to represent dance, um, if they would say... They're that, representing a particular uh, kind of dance, particular artists, uh, particular choreographers, 
If you read that program from Michael Clark, you would see that 80% of the people who he lists as his backers are uh, visual artists. So he's obviously the darling of that swath of the, right. of the community. I mean, there's all, all kinds of stuff going on here. Does that it, does it, my question of what, of what dancers you could get to come into a situation like that? Yes. That's and, and also there's probably a question of whether the offer was good enough uh, mm-hmm. For them, you know, mm-hmm. exactly, I mean, and there are all um, kinds of other things. There are plenty. Going on. Of, you know, I was, I was sort of curious that it was. This is a, a British choreographer, right? So, right, we've got that porousness. But, um, you know, I was thinking of all kinds of people who are in New York, who might qualify for that kind mm-hmm. of space. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, you know, Douglas Dunn or Yoshiko in the mm-hmm. School of Hard Knocks, or all kinds of people around dance space. But then again, you know. Um, but would they want to? Why did why? I mean, uh, Sarah Mitchelson. D- does she? Mm. Do we think she would say, "Wow, I'm happy to perform anywhere. They they want me. That's great." Or do you think she'd think, "Yes, this is this makes sense. I'm a visual artist, and I, I should be here." The the piece also cont- started um, with a, a voiceover and ended with a voiceover. Uh, the first part was a, a conversation with someone who is also going to be performing uh, later with, uh, the, with the theater piece. So uh, it may have been a case of getting two for the price of one. I don't know. But uh, she, she tends to be, from what I've seen, she, she tends to be interested in collaborating with art, visual artists. Um, as I say, it's, you know, it's a much looser... Fit. I mean, what, you know, what? Thirty years ago, wouldn't it have been interesting to have had Merce Cunningham and and John Cage, with probably Rauschenberg playing a part in it as well? And and that was always an integral part of those performances. Is is that relationship of the music and and the and the visual art component? So, Martha Graham and and Noguchi, you know. And so the film component as well is that that's. Um, are we dealing? There are visual artists, and there have been for a, a very long time now, um, who are working within the remit of the art world, within art world kind of art, using the moving image, uh, video, uh, uh, other mediums uh, of, of moving film. Um, but we have enlisted here, don't we, people who are um, within the filmmaking world. I mean, I may, maybe, maybe I'm just being idiotic in, in insisting on these categories. Uh, but, and, and maybe, in fact, actually, it would be very much uh, holding up a torch to um, uh, video artists to demand that their work is seen not in the context of art and compared with painting, but seen in the context of movies and compared to... Uh, whatever Diff- comes di- out of Hollywood, you Diff- know. different depth of field. Different depth of field, but why? Why have have the curators? Um, are the curators have the are the curators doing something uh, provocative and powerful and useful by bringing in filmmakers like, for instance, Nathaniel Dorsky, or is it actually just confusing categories? No, it's just, it, it's been there uh, longer than video's been there. You know, the mm-hmm. film has been in part of these these shows, maybe not the Whitney, but certainly at Museum of Modern Art and other places in, in New York and elsewhere, you know, and, uh, but in this, at this point it seems to be, for one, for one reason it's a good idea because there's this, this 
predominant gallery film scene, which, at least to my eyes, I almost every time I see something uh, pr proposing to be filmed in an art gallery, I think, wait a minute, that that filmmaker could use a little course in <laughs> filmmaking from the filmmakers who have been working for the mm. last 40 years or more, like Dorsky or Stan Brackage or Mike Kuchar or George Kuchar and, and others, you know? Right. So, um, you know, these, these films of, of uh, Heilers and Dorsky and Kuchar and so forth show at the Anthology Film Archives, at the at the film, the New York Film Festival, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is just within New York, mm -hmm. but they don't ordinarily get shown in the Whitney. I don't know why that's been. Maybe you know those particular people are new to the Whitney Biennial. I mean, you know, simply and, though, and and, and to, mm -hmm. to, I know that uh, uh, Karen uh, uh, said she didn't like the Dorsky films, but uh, uh, you know, to my mind, it's a good thing that they get shown. Right. But it is, it's an inefficient way to show, say, dance on the fourth floor of the Whitney where the dance space is sort of like bigger than the stage of the Metropolitan Opera House and the audience space uh, would be a disappointment at the review panel. You could get less people than are here for the review panel could actually see the dance. Something's screwed up there and just in so logistics. If you decide, no, we've seen, if you decide we've, to do a Whitney Biennial... We've seen Cunningham and other companies mm -hmm. use spaces like that and even larger spaces mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. that. The fact that this particular company or whatever it is couldn't fill it mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. spiritually is another matter or aesthetically is another matter. But if the Whitney you know, wants but, to say we are a, the, the festival of, the American, of American culture and all its manifestations, it could simply, as as uh, the modern has done, go and find a good movie house somewhere in town and say, this is part of the Whitney, and go well, to the Well, they only the did, they say, only did that when the their own theater was being renovated. Okay. But, but the modern, it, 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 it's interesting that, you, that you're bringing up the modern, because as you know, uh, during the, the last drawing show, they had somebody writhing on the floor of the atrium that was supposed to be a drawing, and that apparently was so um, well received that he's coming back to do more of it this summer. He drew a crowd. And they're deciding to turn the atrium into a space for Rising. dance. Um, so, you know, this is Give clearly the flavor. This is clearly the flavor of the month. You know, yes, the, the Agnes guns writhing. And they're doing a, a marathon of of Kraftwerk. Right, well, which is listen, also can, noisy. Can, can we get off the institution? They, we don't want to do their job, and you know, I sort of think, okay, let them do their job. That maybe they, they're doing the best they can with what they've got. You know, I, I mean, I, isn't there something about the artists that we can say that oh. I think I think the, the you know the 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 only problem in this whole business is, is that it's a business for one thing. And, and uh, um, everything's so damn professionalized. And part of what is professionalized is this thing called, and the, the catalog is full of it, called the discourse. Mm. And But none of that is the artist's fault. Right. Well, in one case it is, because there is one well, artist... Only if, they, only if they swallow it. No, 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 no. There is one artist, Andrea Fraser's work of art, yes, well, that which is, is listed as dimensions right. variable... Uh, is in fact a uh, chapter of the catalog, 
uh, which demonstrates, we are told, her long-standing engagement with art discourse. Right. So well, that's, that's all that's she does. That's what I mean she as types. a certain contagion, but I think that there's... I loved the dimensions variable part. That was what really got to me. <laughs> That's why it doesn't matter how much space you have for the dance performance. Also, you're Excellent. not the dance is not actually being performed. It's being it's like part of the DJ culture. You know, you're saying here is Nick Mouse's, here's a Charles Demuth watercolor. Mm-hmm. You don't have to actually be able to look at it. You mm-hmm. just have to know what it is. And mm-hmm. my work of art is reminding you of the existence of that thing which mm-hmm. I've chosen to remind you of. And so the dance, you know, they could do the dance on the roof. It doesn't make it without anybody watching if it's listed well, what, in the catalog. What, what, what happens when you see the thing, though? I mean, that is to say, the, de- the Demoth looks... That Kelly is... Well, one I would prefer one, to look that, at the... That Ellsworth yeah. Kelly drawing is one of the most terrific drawings, period, as well as one of the great Kelly drawings. <laughs> oh, yeah, me... So yeah. you're grateful to see it. Yeah, yeah. And no, me personally, I would rather... It's another form of collage. Once I see it, yeah. I stop thinking about Nick Mouse. I agree completely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, you could I, argue that I, the best painting at the Whitney is... is the, and, and argue very convincingly, the best painting in the biennial is the Mars and Hartley. Yes. <laughs> but then we should be grateful to Mouse for having the good taste to to make that um, his his work. It's a form of discourse, certainly, of, uh, and of certain form of... We don't, we don't have to agree that it's ego abnegation. His, his work. I mean, we can be glad that he chose that without mm-hmm. crediting him to an, with an achievement mm-hmm. equal to Marshall Hartley. I'm not Hartley sure, for, really, for because... No, I, I take issue, because, I mean, if you're a painter, if you're a collagist, and uh, there is that guy, um, uh, Hawkins, um, yeah. he... he um, we, we actually saw... We, in our presentation, some paintings, but more striking actually were the uh, collages, um, odd little things, really more like uh, scrapbooks than, than they had no kind of visual, they had no gestalt, but they were colored paper with some uh, 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 cut out uh, Francis Bacon and this one and that one um, uh, pasted up. Now, um, so isn't in a way Mouse? Just doing something like that. This is oh, uh, this on, is collage as installation. Oh, in, um, in principle, he is. I just, I just personally don't think he's doing it as well as Hawkins. It's, you know, he's not doing it as well. No, um, but uh, you, you like those things. You like the Hawkins them? thing? Well, the Hawkins, as collages, they're you know, the collages are appalling. I mean, I think I prefer the, I prefer the mouse. Uh, the mouse. I mean, he's a. You usually say somebody's a mouse compared to a cat, but who? What would? What would? What would? Yes, this is a flea compared to a mouse uh, with, the, with the Hawkins collages. They just don't work at all. The paintings weren't so Well, they're, ba- they're based on, as I understand it, they're based on the scrapbooks of the inventor of, or, or the instigator of Buto dance in Japan. Oh, you've done some homework. I didn't, didn't well, gather that. That makes a huge uh, difference. I'm transformed. I take back <laughs> everything I said about that, that, that's no uh, Mr. Hawkins' uh, <laughs> Um, scrapbook. Has Mr. Hawkins been lowered from a building? Wearing, mm-hmm. Has Mr. Hawkins himself been lowered upside down from a building wearing nothing but no, no, gray no. makeup? His, uh, 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 you read about it. Am I the only one who read the wall text? I, at a certain point, <laughs> the, you need danger it's, pay. It's all about erotic transgression. Oh, good. We like that. <laughs> Um, this, this obviously sounds incredibly naive, but wouldn't you think erotic transgression might be visible in the thing itself rather than having to read about it? I try not to think about it. <laughs> that uh, sounds like a very serious transgression of the erotic if you have to uh, read about it in a wall text. 
Um, <laughs> but um, th what about Mr. Gober making his work, as it were, a, a curation? I mean, Gober already proved himself to be a very capable curator, I thought, in a superb Charles exhibition Birch of Birchfield. Ch Charles Birchfield no, last no. year. Um, and and it, it reminded me a little bit of the way in, uh, say, the Salon d'Anton, you had a little retrospective of uh, or memorial to, to Cezanne uh, in the turn of the century. It wasn't so little. wasn't so little, but it was, no. it was a, a show within the show, as it yeah. were, so a picture within the picture. Um, is, is, so Gober saying, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, is, is Gober saying, well, first of all, um, Presumably, you know, artists who are selected for the biennial don't choose what they're going to do. They're, a piece by them is chosen by the curators. So one wonders how it happens, therefore, that um, the curators, including Gober, end up with a Forest Best show. Did the curators decide they wanted a Forest Best show I, I and Gober would curate it? Or is it that the, the curators wanted a Gober and Gober said, you're getting a Forest Best show? I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think your assumption that pieces are chosen is not entirely accurate. I think it, the artists are chosen, possibly from other pieces, but many of the things that are there were conceived for this exhibition. So it's more of a spectacle, the, yes, yeah. again, more of a festival than uh, an, an, an exhibition. Well, um, well, what about Bess? What about Bess? Let's talk about Bess. I'm, I'm grateful for, to see those paintings. I wish they would uh, deal less with the other parts of him. Yeah. Part, Betty, parts being the operative word here. This, In case anyone's wondering what this allusion is to, uh, uh, Gober slide. chose to <laughs> chose to foreground um, the uh, the the personal experiment, the the uh, what what Forrest Best considered uh, his scientific work, which was a form of self mutilation. Most would which would he say. wanted Betty Parsons to exhibit, and she refused. Right, right. it's a little too early for had to wait for uh, who was that guy. Oh, never mind. It had to wait for a, another a chapter of performance art for a, the art world to understand and accept that self-mutilation is indeed a, as valid a form of art as painting. Um, but uh, Betty Parsons was, was too early for that, um, but was very advanced in what she did do. So, um, yeah, why, why then? Um, so so what, what, what did you make of the, the best... Um, will will you, will you what what was its what does its presence really bring um, well let me say first I want to say that if 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 it is the case that they pick the artist rather than the piece and the artist comes up with what to put then I think it is the right thing to give him what was apparently his uh, his fervent wish which was to have his medical treaties displayed next to his painting I mean in his in the artist's mind according to what I read uh, he was, you know, he was a guy who, who we would call an outsider artist despite having shown in New York, I think, mm -hmm. in part because he was mentally ill and conceived of what he was doing as transcribing visions he had rather than composing paintings in the way that most of the other mm -hmm. people painting in the show uh, would be doing. So I think, I mean, I think it's appropriate to honor his intention in that way, even if it's kind of gruesome and unpleasant, which it certainly well, was. The, but I think the, we have the, the option issue, not to look as many people... You know, but an awful lot of people were not so, looking at the paintings and were hunched over oh, the display case. Well, that's right. the option, well, but too. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's a free choice. I mean, it's a, 
I would rather look at the paintings, but yeah. I, I mean, I imagine think it's if not. paintings weren't crowded, you could look at them with, with great ease, <laughs> which was fine. You could. But it's it's um, it's it's appropriating. You, you, you looked at those paintings with great ease. Well, there was no one standing in your way. Oh, as well. oh, oh yeah, oh. just the physical logistical <laughs> sense. I mean, I don't find them, you know, no, com- comfortable. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I simply meant that, yeah. that when the times I've been there, it was impossible to see the the photograph in the display case. Mm-hmm. But you had no trouble spending time with each of the paintings. Right, right. But I, but presumably Gober would would uh, want to say. Look, um, I, I, Freud's best, his paintings are sublime, they're transformative, they're transcendent, but uh, we need to respect Bess on his own terms. And, and, and as Will says, uh, this is an opportunity to, to say this was as important to Bess as paint. Bess wasn't trying to be um, Arthur Dove. Bess was... Uh, believed himself to be a transcriber of visions and believed mm-hmm. his scientific research into this 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 uh, mystical research as, as being um, as as valid or more as important as uh, the production of, of, of fine artworks so um, Gober is is sort of enlisting best isn't he to say to say um, uh, art is about more than pretty objects I wouldn't call those pretty. Um, but I, the, all right, I've got to play devil's advocate here. Is isn't the curator's role to make decisions? So the decision to include something or to exclude something is mm-hmm. equally significant. So is it is when when we have Bess's scientific work that you don't like, <coughs> is that um, an aesthetic decision by Gober or is that a curatorial decision by beyond Gober, the curators of the Whitney Biennial? What are we looking at when we look at Bess? Are we looking at Bess or are we looking at Gober? That's, that's my question, really. Because Bess is oh, I dead. Think, I think Gober, Gober stepped aside uh, quite mm-hmm. nicely. And anyway, it's yeah. not scientific. The, the, the guy was trying to bring out the, the, the woman uh, that he felt... I mean, it was like one of those things where you're, 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 you're trying to... What, what is that uh, term? You're trying to bring the, 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 the masculine and the feminine together, the, the masculine and feminine of your psyche together. He called he it wanted, and he wanted to pseudo embody it. Yes. It's not a, it's not he wasn't doing scientific research. No. <laughs> he was trying to get himself together as he saw it, you know. No. Yes. <laughs> get yourself together, Forrest. Yes. And so he did. Uh, he botched the job. And so then you have something that people can say, well, I don't know if I want to look at that because it's sort of gruesome because it's a botched job. But, you know. He um, did send his notes to the president and, as scientific right. research. Oh. That's, that's, okay. that's the, I that. what I, I gathered. Mm-hmm. But, well, I still, was, but I mean, the, the panel isn't, isn't buying my question. That, look. Uh, well, I Robert don't think Gober's we don't living, know the answer. I, want the, uh, I think your no, question is trying to put the, the curators back in the picture, and I'm trying to get the curators out of the picture. Okay, but the, the, I, I, let's keep the curators out of the picture and, and put Gober into the picture. Gober is a living artist. He's participating in the biennial curatorially and presenting a room of Forest yeah. Bess and presenting two sides of Forest Bess, the painter and yeah. the castrator, as... Uh, he didn't castrate himself. Or, the the mutilator, the <laughs> experimenter, the experimenter. The, you don't have to look it up. <laughs> uh, he is presenting. So, 
Well, he was... Gober is Gober is present as a as a living artist in this work, right? No, he simply chose them. And frankly, I'm delighted he did, because if I were confronted by a room full of Gobers, I would have been much less interested than a room full of Forrest Besses. So from a purely selfish point of view, yes, I don't care. I'm just glad they're there. Good. Okay, I think we're all glad some of it is there. So um, uh, tell me, Bill, you're going to go back to San Francisco and shut your eyes on the plane... Which artist is going to pop into your mind from the 2012 Whitney Biennial? Who is the most memorable aesthetic experience you had thanks to this trip? Uh, This one doesn't qualify, but the one called uh, Tom Thayer is is very interesting to me because Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, I walked into the room and I said, this is is pretty much what they were after. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is to say it seemed real raw, Mm And uh, had had all these aspects to it of, uh, of uh, you know relics of performances, uh, uh, parts of uh, animation, uh, uh, all this kind of stuff, and uh, it was like uh, uh, sort of dirty and down, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, I, I just so instinctively mm-hmm. and against my better judgment, I liked it. <laughs> right, you know, and so that's memorable to me because I, I I was interested in that was instantaneous, and I didn't have to think about it when I went back to it today. It seemed like the same thing, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 it's odd that the photograph here makes it look so bright and sweet and clean, and mm-hmm. it's not. I mean, well, it's sweet, yes. You know, the birds, the twittering yeah, birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but this is not what it looks like. It's not what it, it feels it's like. Dark. Yes. And, and messy. Uh, uh, and, and dark Visceral, and messy yes. and, mm. and, yeah, dirty, you know. Mm. And uh, um, it seems like, yeah. So that's, that's memorable to me. It's interesting because I, I, I did wonder yesterday, is there anything memorable? Yeah, the best has got more memorable as time went by. And uh, oh, uh, somebody we didn't talk about, Cameron um, Crawford. Do we have him, Cameron Crawford? Yeah, I was very interested. Yeah, you didn't show that was images. very interesting. That's you didn't use on my he list. Said, you he didn't said have that images thing about um, useless labor, which mm-hmm. is used to be a banner headline for modernist art, mm-hmm. or at least I don't know about the labor part, but useless. You know, one thing that was supposed to be great about modern art was that it was blatantly useless against a functional society, right? Mm-hmm. You could be mm-hmm. an artist, you could make something that didn't have any use, right? That was, I, I thought that was a terrific idea when I was a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. and a little later too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, because everything was, because they used to have panel discussions like this and say, what is the function of art? <laughs> the role of the artist in society yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't think you no, showed not him. at all. So, the, so here's a 28-year-old he was on who uh, thought it up on his own. Mm-hmm. And the, it, it's a sign of an interesting disconnect. Uh, uh, there's all, there are all kinds of um, amnesiac replays or mm-hmm. ig, you know, na- naive replays of slogans of modernism in, mm-hmm. in this show. If you look at these wall texts and you read through the catalog, and I, I think a lot of it is just 
uh, uh, something, some aspects of modern art that are instinctive or became instinctive that nobody ever read about, and they come back around. Mm. Um, and, it seemed, and, and, and so these, there, there were these two very nice-looking constructions mm -hmm. that this guy made um, with this idea that he wanted to make something that was probably fairly labor-intensive, though the second piece, the upright piece, wasn't mm -hmm. so. Oh, yes. Yeah, seemed very easy to make. They had strangely double yeah. titles, Making Water Storage Revolution, yeah, Making Water, water Storage Revolution. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. Which well, means if you read that wall text, you know that those hinges were handmade. Yeah. And they don't function. Oh, yeah, so you there's your labor-intensive labor part. The, yeah. The no, they, they, yeah, they yeah. were kind of appealing. Yeah. Would they be what you would nominate, uh, Karen, as the most? I mean, you mentioned your enthusiasm for Sarah Mitchelson, but among uh, and Hartley, <laughs> and um, and Marston Hartley, yeah. great. But um, um, is is there uh, uh, a single artist who really stands out in your mind as somebody you are going to want to investigate further as a result of discovering well, that, the Well, that's, that's hard to say because I mean I I knew um, Anthony Masulo's work before seeing it there. Okay, well, let's talk and, about him. Um, I, I thought the small paintings were much more inventive than the large paintings. Um, there seems to be this... Uh, Bill's really hit it when he talks about this kind of uh, aesthetic amnesia because there's all of this text which tells you that he starts out putting something on the canvas and he goes from there. Uh, how wow. revolutionary, right? How revolutionary, okay. you know? <laughs> Who would ever have thought of doing um, that as a way but, of um, creating and, an image? I mean, he's very much part of um, a whole aesthetic, mm -hmm. uh, which, in fact, Forrest Best fits into as well. Yes. Uh, personally, I prefer Tom Naskowski, who I find a resonant and, and ambiguous and extraordinary artist. Uh, there's none of the kind of uh, subtlety of the use of material here, but he seems to be after something that um, I can take seriously. His aesthetic seems to me much more closely aligned to Mary Heilman. Yeah, Mary Heilman, uh, Laurie Fendrick. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are working in this mm -hmm. way. And uh, as South, I say... South Park. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, more it's more cartoony than Mary Heilman. What did you make of, um, of Masulo, uh, Will? I, I really... Like the Masulo a lot because I um, I don't think the I don't think the uh, naive recycling of modernist ideas is because they've never read anything and came to it independently. I think it's because we're still involved in kind of purging that from the system. Yeah. And do, do, uh, you, you want to purge it? Do I do, do I well, personally yeah. want to? I think I think that's the way it's. I would rather purge it than have it hang around half digested and poisonously. I mean, I, I like the Oh, Tom. you mean that way, purge? Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah mean, I don't mean, I don't mean, mean with blood in the streets. No, no. Uh, probably depends how it goes, I guess. But, um, but what, I like, what I like so much about the Masula paintings is that they, uh, as compared with everything, most of the other work in the show, Tom Thayer's work, for example, or the Richard Hawkins collages, which... I like because he's actually they're they're doing something as compared to the more uh, sterile kind of DJ culture installation which mm -hmm. I would I would put Mouse under. He's actually struggling to make 
make something or, or Don Casper again, I, mm-hmm. oh. who had the installation. Oh, right. I mean, yes. it, I, I'm not going to argue that it's an interesting idea, but it was a relief to me to come around a corner and see a pile of her stuff mm-hmm. in the room because it's actually real stuff. You know, it's not recycled uh, secondhand ideas. But all, all of that said, what I like so much about Masulo and Forrest Bess is that you can look at one of his paintings and obviously it has a context mm-hmm. and a tradition mm-hmm. it's coming out of, but you can look at one of them and it works on its own terms. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need to refer to the tradition to get something from the painting. I need to have some... Or the wall text. Or the, right, right. I didn't read the wall text. <laughs> I think. You know, you can just look at the painting and believe and relate to its mm-hmm. compositional and chromatic problems that it's dealing with on its mm-hmm. own terms and it's a self-contained kind of object um, so I like that I also like the candy colors but that's a yeah. yes. personal, I, I, personal I was, preference I had a very similar reaction to, uh, to Tom Thayer to Bill's um, I you know it was kind of Healing and you know it pushed all the right buttons, and the individual works were were sometimes interesting. But uh, there was this very very modish, uh, random, carefully calculated random installation, mm-hmm. which seemed very much of the moment. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. Yes, I found the uh, the the, the uh, okay. What's her name? The the woman who uh, she's blanking on her name now. Who who had her whole setup, her whole room. Casper. Don Casper. I yeah. found Don Casper profoundly intrusive on the rest of that floor. One had whatever was records she, was she, she was playing. Her very very loud she, she music. She was playing yeah. loud bad music yeah. uh, that her friends were choosing for her, yeah. and that really sort of poured like a, 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 a syrup over or a, a soup over the the experience of everything else. One was trying to see. But there are um, a number of artists I thought were uh, pretty uh, strong and remarkable as individuals, although it seemed to me that uh, there are artists I've liked in the past who've done good work that I've really responded to, and the the Whitney curators seem to find their least persuasive (laughs) work that they could. Uh, uh, Nicole Eisenman and... uh, um, uh, La, La Toya Wilcox both fall into Fraser. Sorry, yes, Ruby La Toya Fraser. I thought she was interesting, but they were interesting enough. Certainly, I've seen stronger, but they were yeah. certainly um, powerful and uh, um, persuasive pieces. Um, can we talk about those? What they were doing? Um, those two artists. Uh, um, Tell, tell us what you found uh, rich and powerful about uh, um, Fraser's work, uh, Karen. Well, some of them, um, I think, are, are very much in a, in a very uh, clear documentary tradition. Uh, I think it probably would have made a better book than an exhibition. But she's, she's I think, visually very acute, uh, she's she's playing with that tradition and tailoring it to a very specific situation that she's uh, clearly very familiar with, this attempt to uh, keep a hospital in her community from, from closing. And then uh, this series, though, uh, reminded me very much of Francesca Woodman, 
Um, yeah. And I, I don't know how familiar she is with Francesca Woodman. Yeah, so. Also Carrie Mae Weems. Yeah. yeah. Also Richard Billingham, the British yeah. artist, um, although more in her earlier work that really explored her yeah. mother as a subject, yeah. her alcoholic mother in her yeah, I, I, her her images are, are you know you you were, I've respond to them initially as images and then the narrative kicks in and I, I find her very convincing. Yes, I found that she also, despite some reservations, the the um, the hospital series mm -hmm. um, transcended the kind of agitprop documentary oh, aspect in in also the quite rare. Um, there's, there's so much uh, work in the biennial that brings text and image together. Actually, the, the visual sensibility of text presentation um, seemed to be quite well, striking. The text, seem, the text seemed to, and the images really work together in, in an extremely uh, useful way. It wasn't a kind of gratuitous uh, commentary. Yes, but much as the way that the images document the text is actually inherently visual. The, the way she wrote it. The yeah. way she wrote yeah, it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yes. Um, Will, was there, was there an artist in, in, the, in the show that's going to tempt you to look further at his or her work, or is there somebody you've followed with great interest and were, were delighted to see here? Oh, well, I, uh, I thought we hit that. I, I would say Masulo. Masulo, right. Masulo, Forrest Bess. Um, Forrest Bess work. Forrest Bess's work, I didn't know, and I don't. I don't know how much occasion I have to go see more of it. But uh, I think you're I, going to be seeing a lot of it from now on. Oh, right. <laughs> well, I look for. I hope that that, that isn't a process of disillusionment. Um, isn't there a separate show at, at Christie's right now? Yes. Or, yeah. There are only a hundred pa yeah. paintings, mm -hmm. from what mm -hmm. I understand. Oh, okay. How so many we are can in this see room all of them? Must have been eight or ten. Eight or ten. Yeah. Is it, is it just that? Is it only that few? Not a lot. Uh, uh, all right. I suppose the display cases made it feel like a, a larger installation. No, it's 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 quite sparse. It's a whole. Yes. Yes. Good. Well, I think this might be a good stage at which to thank the panelists so far and remind the audience that, or tell the audience who don't know it, because they're new to the biennial. To, new, excuse me, new to the review panel, that uh, we love to hear your comments. So um, thank you, panel, so far. But um, we have a roving mic, and if you've got any comments on any aspect of what we've discussed this evening, or any artist you want to mention that hasn't been discussed but you feel should have been, um, now we'd love to hear from, from you. Uh, lady at the back on the right. I just wanted, uh, as a point of information, uh, to mention that Masulo is a collector of Forrest Bess, and in fact, uh, Has several of two the Forrest to Besses the show. Uh, oh, yes, belong to him. And as the gentleman on David's right um, uh, said, there's there's a, a they call it a private sale viewing at the Christie's Rockefeller uh, Center. Um, uh, space where Haunch of uh, Venison vacated uh, last season. Uh, it's up for the next few days. It, it, it's a bequest to uh, the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston that will benefit from the uh, oh, upcoming good. sale. Good. Nice. Yeah, Mazzullo owns, actually, it struck me that he owns the two best yeah. mm. pictures best in that yeah. room. 
Yes. Seemed to me. And uh, uh, also he credits Bess with having sort of pointed the way uh, for, him, uh, for him, for Mosulo, to do what he's doing now many years ago. In his art, hopefully, yeah. and not in his private life. Yes. <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know that. Maybe he can figure it out. He, he lives in San Francisco. <laughs> not Boston? No. Okay. Unless he's right. moved recently. Okay, thanks for that correction. Lots of, lots of yeah. corrections for me this evening, but that's, uh, I live for them. Yeah. Great. Um, yes. Come on, the Whitney Biennial. It's, it's, it's not a shortage of people to talk about. Yeah. I was just curious, you know, people talk about the, there's this love and hate of the Whitney Biennial, and people love to criticize it and everything. And I just wondered if you, if there's, um, you know, if you've seen multiple Whitney Biennials over the years, are there ones that you would point to as being more successful overall than others? Um, you know, just going back, I don't know, 10 years when you think of, are, or are they even memorable in that way as sort of a total thing that can be successful or unsuccessful? Well, my answer that that would be that my grasp of dates is is getting increasingly um, unreliable, um, and I don't remember you know the, the particular exhibition. I, there are a few uh, works or artists that I remember from exhibitions, like the Shirin Neshat piece. Um, there was a Nancy Rubin piece and one that was that was quite memorable. Uh, Mary Lucier, a, a video artist whom I've, I find uh, very powerful and very fascinating, had a piece many, many years ago. I think it was the first piece of hers I ever saw called Ohio in Giverny, which the Whitney now owns. And uh, I couldn't tell you what year that was. But th that's the way it's worked for me, that so it, there are individual works that sometimes stay with me, or sometimes they're artists I've knew, known beforehand, sometimes they're not. There, there, are, there are two. Um, it, it just occurred to me, the one that, the, the one that um, uh, uh, divided people, um, that was the most, the most provocative in that the sense. The blackmail? What, what, uh, no, the, 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 um, the one that Elizabeth Sussman did back in whatever that was, 1993, uh, uh, the one with, where you had the pin that said, I can't imagine wanting to be white. Mm. The um, Black Mail show, surely. I, I don't think it was just called that. Was no, that was it? a no, show, no. That was uh, a show and, with and, the and, Met but, years ago. So that was interesting because people took off on that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was Glenn, you know, Glenn divisive and you could fight about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the, the, the other one that, that I particularly liked, and I liked the idea of it, uh, was uh, Klaus Curtis's show because it was an entirely personal. It was like you know, okay, somebody, somebody invited him in, and he and he did this show. It was just his, uh, I, I, as far as I could see, his own taste, and it mm -hmm. was very wide ranging. I mean, you had Helen Martin. You had Helen Martin. Okay. Mm -hmm. You had Jane Freiliger. Um, you know, uh, next to who knows Jackson Pollock. Or anyway, uh, it, it was. Uh, I wish they would do that. Uh, you know, they could give Robert Gobert the whole show, but something like that. I mean, uh, that is to say, where the institutional heat is off right. is nicer, because otherwise you're getting this curatorial 
uh, heat, whether they decide, you know, and now, now you have somebody who was invited in uh, with his own personal culture, I think, uh, Jay Saunders, so that may have helped the issue, uh, you know, but, but uh, those are two that I think of. You know, I, I, I enjoyed the fact of the personal view because it was uh, um, exactly that. Uh, and I appreciated the fact that sometimes his taste coincided with mine, but not always. Yeah. And then you had this other thing, which was uh, of the moment, and really tested that, that, that sense of the moment where you, you know, along uh, yes. whatever it is, eth ethnic divides. I think we will, as a panel, have one last comment on future, the future of the biennial, but I would like to hear the comments of the audience on the biennial that we're looking at right now, the 2012. So, lady at the front. It seems as though a lot of the art had to do with references to the past, like Hawkins, Bess, and the Mars and Hartley. It just seemed like almost everything was about the past and almost in a blatant way, um, a commentary or something. And I, I was struck by it and don't really know what, what it means. Uh, do you have any ideas? But do, do, you really, do you really think that all of it was or that there were salient examples like Herzog is thinking about a 17th century artist who he says was the inventor of the father of modernity, which is nonsense, but who cares because Herzog thinks that painting began in the caves, which it didn't. Mm. And, <laughs> well, it also, so the, the fact that Hercules Sagers came as a big surprise to Herzog tells you uh -huh. how much he knows about painting. You right. know, so. But anyway, the, there, is, there is some of it, but you know, I don't think Tom Thayer doesn't seem mm -hmm. to be thinking about anything in the past, though there's as somebody said, uh, oh, I know, Adam Weinberg said that a lot of the art in the biennial is the legacy of Robert Rauschenberg. And, uh, uh, you know, if you look closely at there, you say, well, he's reinventing Rauschenberg. I mean, like the old red Yeah, with panel, the stuff on it. Yeah. You know? Yes, but Tongli as well. So there's a, there's a you know, variety of reference, if you want reference, defined reference in something like Tom Thayer. But maybe that's just art historians playing a game with something that isn't about reference. But I think you could, you could also make a selection of work that, as David says, is not. Uh, the Oscar Toison piece uh, downstairs, the, the modules in, combined of different materials. Um, okay, that's somebody I'd, I'd like to see more of. I'm, I don't know quite what I think of that piece. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious. I, don't, I didn't know his work before. Right. Um, the uh, uh, Vincent Fecto sculptures, uh, which I, I, I think need to be bigger. I think they're too fussy. I think if he worked larger, they'd be more interesting. But well, better when they were smaller and more fussy, actually. Well, <laughs> uh, but in my view, I've loved I his know. work when I first saw it, but it was small and fussy. But I, I think you could make it an equally uh, comprehensive list of people who aren't. You know. um, but it, it did nonetheless strike you as being a very retro or very history-laden well, show. It just seemed like so the collages were all about, you know, the Francis Bacon and the quotes from the past and, um, you know, the Forrest Bess. And it's just, it's almost as though, you know, they just 
milking the past, mm -hmm. you know, rather than, you know, the future. Like, you know, the, you know how in the, in, the, in the past it would be like, oh, what's next mm. kind of thing. It, it doesn't seem that way. It just seems like, you know, just delving into things that already were. But, but of course, like you say, there could be an argument for, I, I was just struck by it. It just seemed one after the right. other was like that. Okay, thank you very much. Any, not a question, please. Any last comments on the, on the audience's feelings about what they'd seen or a, 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 a strong plea for uh, the rest of us to go back to the biennial and have a closer look at either some individual or uh, a collective spirit that we're not picking up on? If there's any statement like that from the audience, I'd be delighted to take it. If not, I'm going to ask the question of the panelists one uh, final question, starting with you, Will. Um, the Whitney in the future, should it um, attempt to present the zeitgeist, or do we prefer the idea of um, idiosyncratic personal views on art? I would prefer. How, what would you do? I would, I would prefer the idiosyncratic individual views on art because that can't fail to be presenting the zeitgeist also. Whereas when you attempt to present the zeitgeist, you just get a big hot mess which mm -hmm. might have jeweled pieces in it. You know. And so let me modify the question for that. the remaining <laughs> panelists. If you were invited so to do by Adam Weinberg, would you create a Whitney Biennial? Karen. What a horrifying idea. Um, well, I, the only thing I would be able to do is, you know, pick 25 artists who I'm interested in at the moment, uh, which would not look very much like the current biennial. I mean, Adam's a good friend. He has not offered this possibility, but, um, you know, I'll see if he wants me to do it. <laughs> Bill, would you yes. pick yes. 25 people if, you know, if, or would you elected, say... Elected, would, or would you say as <laughs> this... <laughs> Would you pick 25 people you know, or would you go out would and look for people... 25 people I like. 25 people you don't know. Well, because have we got a travel budget? Yes, unlimited. Unlimited. Unlimited, good. Okay. Can I go to Germany? No. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'm certainly available to, to curate a Whitney Biennial, but I'd rather do it here. Thank you very much. Thank you.